I don't always, as a part of our, uh, you know, preaching and on, on days like this, I don't always address mothers on Mother's Day and fathers on Father's Day. Um, but sometimes, depending on what we're studying or the time of, um, like, what we're, what we're preaching and what we're learning about together, um, or if God lays something special on my heart, then then by all means, and in this year, I feel like both of those things are the case. We're in between series right now, um, and and so it's a good time to kind of have a, a, a standalone message that kind of focuses on Father's Day, but I just want to tell you that I've just, over the past couple of weeks, really felt a burden to encourage our dads today. Um, I don't have a ton of notes for you. Note takers, you, you can write down things if you think it sounds good, but I don't have tons of notes or things to give you this morning. Um, I, a lot of what I want to share with you are just some things from my heart. I know that many men don't enjoy coming to church on Father's Day. And the reason they don't is because they anticipate getting beat up when they come. So I'm glad you're here. If you're a dad, I'm glad you're here. That you weren't afraid of getting beat up when you come to church on Father's Day. It's, it, it can be weird sometimes. In a lot of churches, Mother's Day, how's the, how is Mother's Day? Mother's Day is like, let's lift mom up on a pedestal. Let's talk about how great she is. Let's celebrate her and do that. And then on Father's Day, guys will come to church. And what they hear is, let me tell you all the ways you're messing up. Let me tell you all the ways you're falling short. Let me tell you all the stuff you need to do better. And so for that reason, lots of dads don't enjoy Father's Day. Father's Day becomes a you should should be better day um, for a lot of dads. And while accountability is important, okay, we're not diminishing accountability at all, um, it is greatly lacking. I'll, I'll be honest with you, accountability among men in the kingdom of God is something that is very lacking. But at the same time, I think encouragement among the men of God within his church is also something um, that can be very lacking. So I hope that today will be an encouragement to you. Um, I want to spend just a few minutes looking at one of the Psalms. I want you to find the book of Psalms. We're going to look at Psalm 128 uh, this morning. And what I simply want to do is, again, you guys know the Psalms are songs uh, that were sang by Israel. And so it's, it's kind of like looking at song lyrics. And, and any of you that know me from my student ministry days, that's something that we love to do, is look at song lyrics and, and kind of pick them apart and talk about what it says and what it means. And so I like to kind of take that approach and do that when I read the Psalms. So I want us to take a look, kind of an, uh, an expositional look, verse by verse, through these six verses in, in Psalm 128, and then just share some things from my heart for you as dads, as your pastor, and also as a fellow father in the struggle. Um, so Psalm 128, let's read it together, beginning in verse 1. The psalmist writes, How happy is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You will surely eat what your hands have worked for. 
You will be happy and it will go well for you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children like young olive trees around the table. In this very way, the man who fears the Lord will be blessed. May the Lord bless you from Zion so that you will see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life and will see your children's children. Peace be with Israel. So, this is a, again, it's a song. We know that the Psalms were songs that were sung. And this is a song um, that many historians say was a song of, of travel. When, when families would travel into Jerusalem. And they were, they were traveling big groups. And they would travel for the, um, one of the three uh, yearly feast celebrations that the Jews would celebrate. And this was a song that they would sing as they would travel into the cities for those festivals. Um, the psalmist in, in this particular psalm is anonymous. There's no author name. We don't, we don't know, um, or the, the psalmist doesn't name himself as the, as the writer of this psalm. But this psalm is what is called a wisdom psalm. So um, because it's a wisdom psalm, it takes on the same kind of voice um, and as the book of Proverbs, it, it, you would call it a proverbial type psalm um, because it, it speaks more of an abiding principle than a specific promise. And we've talked about that before, how we, we can read the Proverbs and you read those and, and, and those are stated and they can, they can sound like promises but they're really principles because we know that every time, 100% of the time, what, what a proverb may say doesn't seem to be reality for us. And that doesn't mean that God's word is not true. It just means that that statement wasn't meant to be an absolute promise. There are many promises in God's word that are absolute promises and we can know 100% of the time they are always true. But with the Proverbs, they're different. They're principles. And it's, it, it, they're, they're proverbial principles that say, as a rule, most of the time, as it goes, if this is the case, then this will be the result. And so this psalm has that same kind of proverbial tone as the book of Proverbs does. And there's a principle, there's an overall principle in this psalm. There is a blessing that comes within the family that fears the Lord. There's a, there's a blessing that comes with it. And I believe that we can claim that as a, as a promise. That there are blessings that come in the family that fears the Lord. So let's talk about that. Let's look at the first two verses. Um, we're going to kind of break them up a couple of verses at a time. Verses 1 and 2. How happy is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in his ways. You will surely eat what your hands have worked for. You will be happy and it will go well for you. Now the psalmist begins and ends these verses with a blessing, right? And it's a blessing of happiness, he says, how happy is everyone? And then at the end of verse 2, he says, you will be happy. 
But there's a qualifier there. This isn't just an overall blessing of everybody's going to be happy. How happy is everyone? There's not a period there. There's a qualifier. How happy is everyone who fears the Lord? And then at the end of verse 2, he's saying you will be happy and it will go well for you when? When you go back to verse 1. When you fear the Lord. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? So we've talked about that before. To fear God, there's a couple of different ways that we should think about the fear of God. One is that we are dealing with the sovereign, almighty, ruler, and creator of all things in the universe. You say, should I be afraid of God? Yes, you should be. There, there should be an element of fear when we think about the righteousness of God and how we line up with who he is, we immediately realize that we are under his judgment. We are under his, his rule and his power. And so there should be a little bit of fear in that. So, so yes, there's that kind of fear is an element to how we approach the Lord. But what, what the psalmist is talking about here is defined in that first verse. He says, how happy is everyone who fears the Lord... And then, he, and then he puts a comma there, and then it says, who walks in his ways. And so he defines for us in the same verse, well, what does it mean? What kind of fear of the Lord are we talking about? The kind of fear that walks in the ways of God. The fear of God, he says, happy is everyone who fears the Lord in, in reverence, in, in honor who holds him to a high esteem, who submits themselves under his leadership. And that equals, how does that come out in real life? The one who walks in the ways of the Lord. Because before we can walk in the ways of the Lord, we have to humble ourselves before the Lord. And that humility is part of the fear that he's talking about. Happy is everyone who fears the Lord and who walks in his ways. So again, there's a simple principle in these verses that sounds very, very elementary. Good things come when you obey God. Amen? That, that's exactly what this is saying. Happy is everyone who fears the Lord and who walks in his ways. You walk in the way of the Lord, good things are going to happen. Everybody wants to be happy. Right? Right? I, I kind of titled it Happy Dads. Every dad wants to be a happy dad, right? Whether you're a believer in Christ or not a believer in Christ, everybody is chasing happiness. And sometimes we as believers, we can feel guilty when we say we're pursuing, that we want to be happy because somehow we feel like that's not spiritual to say, well, I'd, I want to be happy. But if you're honest, like none of us love living in unhappiness and we know the difference between happiness and joy but because we're human, like we, we look for happiness. We, we strive for it. We chase after it sometimes, and sometimes in bad ways. But the desire to want good things in our lives and happy things is not necessarily a bad virtue because it's something that's celebrated in this psalm. It's not bad to want to pursue happiness. It's not bad for you to want good things for your family. 
The question is, what kind of happiness are you pursuing? And to whom or, or what do you go to find that happiness? It's not bad, dads, that you want a happy life. It's not bad that you want your families to have a happy life. Where we mess up is who or what do we seek after to find that happy life. That's where we mess up. There's not a dad in the room that doesn't want their family to be happy. Sometimes, if you're like me, dads, you will bend over backwards. You will make life difficult for yourself. You will put yourself in last place in your family just because you want to make everybody happy. And that's, that, that's a virtuous thing. That's a good thing. But what happens is we get frustrated trying to find happiness because we're spinning our wheels, because we're looking, t- looking to and through the wrong people and the wrong things to acquire that happiness that we're seeking. And so the psalmist says, the key to finding the happiness that you're looking for is in the fear of the Lord. It's in the obedience of God. Um, this psalm is a, is a description of the kind of good blessings that come only for those who fear the Lord. And, and it's a qualifier. Everybody's seeking happiness. Unbelievers are seeking happiness. Unbelieving dads want to be happy and they want their families to be happy. But they're looking for, them, looking for that in all the wrong places. Where are all the different ways, dads, that we will try to seek happiness and try to get happiness for ourselves and for our family? We, we think if I just have the perfect job, right? If I can just get to the perfect place that's got the perfect paycheck and the perfect hours and all of those things, then, then, then I can be happy in what I do. I can be happy. My family will be happy because I'll be there and I can afford to give them the stuff they want. We look for it that way. We look for happiness in our, in our relationships with our kids and with our spouse. I don't know about you guys, but everything else in my life can be going pretty well, can be in pretty much really good order. But, but if there's trouble between Kim and I, Like all of the other things that are going good, it feels like all of that stuff doesn't mean anything, doesn't it? Because you want, you want a happy marriage. And you'll, and, and you'll go to any length to try to get that. Whatever you think will make your wife happy, most husbands will do that. The phrase happy wife, happy life is a, is a very real thing, Right? And you will do that because you want them to be happy. You love your kids. You love your kids and you value your kids and you want your kids to have a happy life. What do we all say? We want our kids to be able to have the kind of life that we didn't have in lots of different ways. And so we love our kids and we will do whatever we can do to to a certain extent to make our kids happy 
and, and we'll look to all different kinds of means to do that. Dads, this is what I want to encourage you with. Your wife and your kids need your greatest pursuit to not be them. You say, well, I want to make, I want to have a happy life. I want to be a happy dad. I want to have a happy wife. I want to have a happy kids. I want my life to be happy like it says in this song. If you want this kind of happiness in your life, in your marriage, in your family, your greatest pursuit can't be your wife and your kids. If you, if, if you have a wife who is a believer, what your wife really wants is for Jesus to be your greatest pursuit. What your kids really want, really want, and what they really need, and they may not be old enough to know it or be able to articulate it, but what they need is for your greatest pursuit not to be them, but to be Jesus. And that's where we can all mess up, is to think, well, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure my wife and my kids know that they are number one. Don't know that that's the right approach. Or that's not where this kind of happiness comes from. Sometimes we approach our, our, our families, our spouse, and our, our kids like, like we do everything else. We want to fix it. Aren't we fixers, guys? When there's a problem, you show me the problem. Let me think about it. Let me figure out how to fix it. And then let me just fix it. Like we, we, we want to treat our marriages and our, our lives with our kids kind of like we treat a leaky faucet in the kitchen. Just, just t- tell me what's wrong. Show, let me figure it out. And then what do I need to do to make it quit leaking? If people aren't happy, if my wife's not happy, just tell me what's wrong so I can fix it so you'll be happy. And, and guys, if you've been married long enough, you understand that it doesn't work that way. <laughs> I, I have tried, and I'm even now trying to train my sons. And I say this in all sincerity. To train my sons to know when, you're, when your wife, when you guys grow up and you have wives, and when your wife is hurt or upset about something or disappointed because of something you've done, You can't just say a few words of I'm sorry and then expect the leak to just be fixed and the switch to flip back to happy just because you said you were sorry or just because you did something to make it up. It just doesn't work that way. Um, We, as, as husbands and dads, have to learn to love Jesus first and love his word. The principle here is that these good things will be an overflow of the life that fears and obeys the Lord. So what kind of blessings? He says, happy is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. 
Okay, what does that look like? How, like what kind of happiness are we talking about? Verse 2, he says, you will surely eat what your hands have worked for. You will be happy and it will go well for you. I believe that when we, when we make our pursuit of Jesus our top priority, then God honors your work. God honors your work. Uh, some dads work so hard but have no idea what they're working for. Like we, it's so easy for us as dads to get wrapped up in our jobs and make our identity about what we do for a living and what our jobs are. And, we, and, we, and the way we love or we think we're loving our family is to work really hard. I'm going to work tons of hours so I can make a big paycheck so I can give my family everything they want. And that's the way I'm going to love them. Some work for money to be able to give things to their family. But I want to say something to you that, that, that we all have to remind ourselves of. Me too. When you're working for money, that's all you're going to get. When, you're, when your goal and your drive to work hard is to make money to make your family happy, money is all you're going to get. Because the happiness that your family will enjoy because of your money will go away. It doesn't last. Money buys stuff and stuff gets old. Stuff gets old, stuff breaks, stuff needs to be replaced. And quite honestly, some things just fall out of fashion quicker than you can earn the money to pay for it. Then by the time you have it, then it's old and nobody wants it anymore. How many dads could walk through your house right now and point at stuff that you've bought for your family and you're like, nobody uses that, nobody touches that, nobody pays attention to that, and you want to just like, you, you want to just get mad and, and pile it all up and, and, you know, throw it out in the driveway and just give it away because nobody appreciates it. How many times do we preach to our kids like, we buy you stuff and then you don't appreciate it? If, if, if we're just working to make money to be able to buy stuff to get, uh, that's, if we're working for money, that's all we're going to get. That's all we're going to get. But if we're working for our family rather than for money to give things to our family, there's a difference. When obedience to the Lord is primary, it changes our motivation for work. And when our work becomes part of our obedience to God, he says we will receive blessing. That's, that's what verse 2 is about. You will surely eat what your hands have worked for. The question we should ask ourselves as dads when I read that is what are my hands working for? Is it money? If I'm working for money, that's what I'm going to get. But am I working for something greater? Do I see something that we've talked about in our, in our man church Bible studies that we have? Do you see whatever you do professionally as part of your mission to follow God? Do you go to work just to get a paycheck or do you go to work looking for opportunities to live out your calling as a man of God? To be a witness for him. To do, to, to do whatever you do as you are doing it unto him. When we start to do it 
think about things that way and we, and we go to work not thinking I got to go to work to get a paycheck, but I've got to go to work so that I can obey God's call for my life. I can be obedient to him. I can live out my faith at my job. And then your, your perspective and your motivation starts to change. And God says when, when you are walking in his ways, the work that you do will be fruitful. You will surely eat what your hands have worked for. There, that, that, that principle is in scripture. It's all throughout the Old Testament. That someone who works diligently deserves to enjoy the fruit of their labor. And God says, I will reward that. I will let you enjoy the fruit of your labor if, you're, if, if your labor is part of your offering to me. If I'm just working for money, all I'm going to get is money. And then look at verses 3 and 4. So it, our, our work will be honored. And then he says in verses 3 and 4, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house and your children like young olive trees around your table. In this very way, the man who fears the Lord will be blessed. The man who works hard without fear in obedience to the Lord often eats the fruit of his labor alone. But not here. I think... These verses and the verses before are kind of tied together. I picture the one who, the, the, the man who lives and walks in the fear of the Lord, in obedience to him, when he sits down at the table to enjoy the fruit of his labor, he sits together with his family. And he enjoys the fruit of that labor together with them. What happens in too many households is dad is working so hard, he's earning fruit of his labor, but he's losing his wife. And he's losing his kids. He's working hard. And he's working hard out of, out of motivation because he, he loves them and he wants to give good things to them, but all the time he's losing them. It's sort of the picture of the man sitting enjoying like having all of these things that his hard work has earned, but he has nobody to share it with. But the psalmist says, your, your wife will be like a fruitful vine, your children like young olive trees. These are, these are symbols in this. Um, dads, I believe the blessing from God that we desire most in the deepest part of our hearts is unity and harmony with our wife and kids. Grapes and olives, the psalmist uses that picture in this song because those were two of the most valued, two of the most valued fruits in the Middle East. And what the thing about olives and, and, and grapes, they were valued not because they were necessities for survival, but because they made life so much better. Like, an, you didn't have an olive tree because you, it was a necessity for life. You didn't have a fruit vine because it's a necessity for life. You can survive without it. But why in the world would, would you want to? It makes, 
it makes lives so much better. Um, our, our wife and our kids become blessings that, that enrich, that it, it, God taking the life that we have in him and saying, I'm just going to bountifully bless you in your marriage and in your, in, in your relationship with your kids. And those are just going to be like, like icing on the cake. It's just uh, all of these things together. Guys, our wives want and need us to pursue Christ. Our kids need us to pursue Christ. And when we do, that blessing overflows out of, out of our life into, into their lives. And then the way God blesses them overflows into our lives. It's a humbling thing when you hear your kids and your wife say things to you like I hope they will say to you today. When they can say to you, this, this thing that you do in our life is really, really important to us. And it may be something that you didn't even realize was a big deal. So, uh, moms and, and kids, I hope that somehow today you'll be able to express to your, to your dads, what is, what is that thing, because of their obedience to God, that overflows out of their life into yours, that you, that you recognize God brings those good things into your life through your dad. And then acknowledge that and tell him. And then look at verses 5 and 6 at the end here. It says, May the Lord bless you from Zion so that you will see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. And we will see, and, and we'll see your children's children. Peace be with Israel. So if we were to break this up, these six verses, in the first two verses, the psalmist talks about the source of God's blessing. Where does God's blessing come from? It comes from the fear of the Lord. It comes from obedience to him. So there's the source in the first two verses. In verses 3 and 4, he's describing the fruit of God's blessing. It comes from the, our fear of God, our following him in obedience. And then what is the fruit of that? The blessings that we really, really want is, is unity. Unity with our wives. Unity with our kids. A, a, a life that doesn't just fulfill us, but it fulfills them as well. That's the fruit of following God. And then in verses 5 and 6, these last two verses are like a, like a request or a prayer for God's blessing. The psalmist ends this song with a blessing. And since this is a song that they would sing together corporately, when I sing a song that prays a blessing over you, you're singing a song that play, prays a blessing over me. And so as they're trying, you can picture as they're traveling together and they're singing and they get to this point and they say, may the Lord bless you from Zion. It's, it's, it's them singing that promise and that prayer into each other's lives. It's me saying to you, may the Lord bless you 
And then when you sing it, you're singing it to me and it's echoing to one another. And that blessing is a prayer in the community of faith for long days of blessing and long years of seeing the fruit of that blessing. It's a prayer for a multi-generational, a multi-generational blessing. Because verse 6, he says, and that you will see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life and will see your children's children. He doesn't mean just literally see them, lay eyes on them. He says that you would see this same pattern of obedience and blessing played out in their lives, one generation after the other. And so there's a pattern. All of us as husbands and dads, we want God's blessing on us, on our families, on our wife, on our kids. And I, and I want to encourage you and say that, that the promise of that kind of blessing isn't going to come from your job, isn't going to come from how much money you make, how much stuff you can buy for your family, how many, how many, how many sports your kids can play in, how many championship rings they get. Like all of that stuff in the end is going to go away. Continue in this. There's, and many of you are doing it. And I told you today, I didn't want today to be a day of where you felt like you were getting beat up. Because I, I sit here and I look out at, at, at the people here and I see many of the men here and the dad. And what I want to say to you guys is just keep it up. Don't, don't stop. We, we, as dads, usually are our own worst critics. We are, we are the greatest self-deprecators. I don't know if that's true about you. I see some of you shaking your head. You're very much like me. It doesn't matter how much encouragement somebody gives you. You're going to be the first person to come up with a laundry list of things you're not doing right. And that you wish you could do better. That's a good thing. But at the same time, it's really, really important for somebody to say to you every once in a while, you're doing a lot of things right. You're doing good things. I don't want um, all of your time spent at church to feel like somebody's just constantly beating you over the head with all the things you're not doing. Could we all do better? Absolutely. All the time. But I, I just wrote, I just kind of want to wrap up today. Again, I want to encourage you. There's some things that I just feel like, um, just five little things I just want to say to you to encourage you that, that I hope will encourage you on this Father's Day. One, you are truly loved by God. And dads, maybe sometimes it takes somebody just getting in our face every once in a while and saying, you really are truly loved by God. And you are not loved by God because of what you do. You are truly loved by God because of what he has already done. We can so much get in our heads that our value is wrapped up in what we do. What we do for God. What we do for our wives. What we do for our kids. God doesn't see you that way. He truly loves you, not because of what you do. 
God does hold a high bar for us as husbands and fathers. And most of us are fully aware of that. But I also want to say to you, the same God who sets the bar high is a God who is also very rich in grace. And that grace is real. And I've experienced that grace in my life. You don't have to get it right every time. Um, I like to think of it this way, that God has lots of spiritual caulk. He's got, I feel like sometimes he's got a big old caulk gun for my life. And there are gaps and holes and crevices everywhere because I just can't seem to get everything lined up exactly right. But he fills in gaps. He fills in lots of gaps. Most of you in the room who have sought to raise your families to love God could probably recount with me lots and lots of times when you completely messed up something. You can look back and go, man, I did that completely wrong. But God still made something great out of it. I I can look at, uh, we can look at our kids as they've grown up. And I'm so proud of my boys. But I am fully aware that there are lots of gaps that God has filled in over the years. If the kind of men that my boys become is fully dependent only on how faithful and what good of a job I've done as their dad raising them, they don't turn out near as good. Because God has a lot of grace for us. So dad... Know that in your desire and in your pursuit to follow God, God has lots of grace and he can fill in lots of gaps. You're not dumb. I want to say that to you. You're not dumb. You are uniquely equipped to lead your family. And don't give that away to anybody else. Don't give it away to culture. I lovingly say this to you. Don't give the leadership of your family over to your wife because you think you're not smart enough or that you're not capable or that you're not strong enough. You absolutely are because God designed you to be that. You're not dumb. Culture will make you out to be an idiot. You are the bumbling fool of the family that doesn't ever know what's going on. Every TV dad for the past 20 years has been... somebody who didn't know what they were talking about half the time. Like, you are not that. And don't believe that. You need wisdom from older, godly men. Seek after it. None of us, none of us have figured this out completely. But there are people who have gone before us, and especially you guys that are young dads. There are men in this church who will not, who will be the first to tell you they've not done it perfectly. They've not had perfect marriages. They've not raised their kids perfectly. They have gone through storms and seasons where they have learned much, but God has given them great wisdom. And they are a resource to you. Find older, godly husbands and dads 
that you can watch, that you can learn from, that you can ask questions of, and, and seek after that. You need that. I need that. Don't neglect it. And then if you're here this morning and you are a dad and you have tried to lead your family and you've tried to make your family happy but you realize you've done that without a relationship with the Lord. If you are a lost dad this morning, God is ready and willing to take you exactly the way you are. You don't have to try to clean up your life. You don't have to try to get it together. You don't have to say, well, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to make sure I take my family to church for this many, this, this many weeks in a row before I, before I get serious about my relationship with God. Or you know that he's been drawing you and he's been calling you to salvation. He is ready to take you just as you are. He's ready to forgive you for every failure and to give you a real relationship with him. And everything that you may want to be that you will never be, he can make you. He can make you those things. But it takes surrender. It takes doing the thing that is sometimes the hardest thing for men and dads to do is to admit that they can't do it. And he is ready for that. And he's ready for that even this morning.